What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Tom Westerholm, joined today by Brian Robin. We have about half of an episode recorded talking about the Celtics' success over the weekend and Marcus Smart's very questionable decision to call timeout and a bunch of other stuff. But as we were recording, uh, Sham Trania of The Athletic dropped a... Uh, a story in that links Jalen Brown to the Sixers sort of in a uh, trade possibility, sort of basically the Celtics have called about Ben Simmons and the Sixers. It sounds like have said, please give us Jalen Brown um, left unsaid was, I assume uh, the phone uh, falling out of Brad Stevens hands as he laughed and then him picking it up again and hitting hang and hanging up on Daryl Morey. But uh, B Rob, any, uh, any takes on uh, Ben Simmons for Jalen Brown? Daryl Morey sure likes to shoot for the stars. I actually wrote about a little of this over the summer, like back before the whole holdout stuff happened. And I think we, you know, we all talked about it at some point back then about being the dynamic of, of whether this could ever come to fruition just from a standpoint. I think the, the only interesting part of me to the story, and I don't know what your take is, Tom, is like, do the Sixers ever reach a point where they're desperate enough to like make a Simmons deal with the Celtics that doesn't involve Jalen Brown? And my guess is like, no, because the Celtics don't have just enough on that roster to to appeal to, to Philly, even if they throw in all the picks and stuff. But I guess this report is what the, the Celtics are kicking the tires to see if that that possibility is there. Is that is that like is that a fair yeah. assessment, you think? Yeah, of course. To calm every Celtics fan down who is losing their minds and getting like I mean, the, the trolling on Twitter is like so easy when stuff like this happens. Yeah, of course, the Celtics aren't going to trade the better player. For the worst player who has been holding out, basically, like, yeah, this is not that that's not going to happen. So, yeah, I think you're right that that's the question. And I have to say, I don't think it's going to happen because, like you said, the Celtics don't necessarily have that extra value that, you know, the Sixers are obviously looking for. And I think if the Sixers just kind of cave and say, okay, fine, we'll trade Ben Simmons for, you know, smart plus picks plus whatever or for Horford in like a three team deal or whatever it is like if they do that, then all of a sudden they kind of come out looking like they're always faking, you know, when they're in these negotiations with people. Like I think that saying like, okay, it's Jalen Brown. Like the price for you guys is Jalen Brown. The Sixers are saying, we're not going to trade you Ben Simmons because the Celtics aren't going to do Jalen Brown. And I do think that it's possible that the Sixers are are not going to do a Ben Simmons to the Celtics trade without him. So to me, it's like, this, like, I, I think there's a case to be made that Ben Simmons would fit well on the Celtics, like not in a Jalen Brown trade. But I do think that like this pretty much confirms that J- like Ben Simmons, I, I don't think there's any chance that Ben Simmons is going to play for the Celtics because I think that if the Sixers caved, they would end up looking bad in this scenario. And that's I don't think that Daryl Morey has any intention of doing that. Right. And I mean, the the longer this drags on, the more interesting it becomes, because from the desperation standpoint, for us, like, yeah, there's obviously no. Like the Sixers are in no rush here. Simmons is under contract right. for four years, but they they start playing. They still keep playing well, and this looks like they're here again. They're doing this all without Simmons, so it's like, hey, do we want to waste this year? Do we want to like or get? Yeah, maybe we won't get the All Star of Simmons, but maybe we can get two or three pieces that actually help us make a run in a weekend East this year with Kyrie out of the picture and the the Bucks looking like a shell of themselves early. So that's when things get interesting. But I feel like even then. I mean, who knows if this, you know, this all that we can, we'll, we'll be talking about this for a while so we can get into variation stuff. But even then, I still think like there are other teams that probably can give Philly what they want better without including a star than what the Celtics have to offer. It's at least, you know, from, from my standpoint. 
Exactly, because other teams don't have to top. Like other te- anybody can look at the Jalen Brown package and, and say that it's categorically insane. Like, of course, like you're not going to get a Jalen Brown type player for Ben Simmons, but other teams I think could absolutely top a Marcus Smart. So all other teams have to do to top a Celtics offer is top, you know, Smart plus Romeo plus a couple of picks. I mean, the Celtics could start throwing draft picks at the Sixers and try to entice them that way. But that, that doesn't give the Sixers what they're looking for if, you know, if they are playing well and they want those reinforcements, then the draft picks aren't going to do anything for you unless you, you know, do it before the deadline and then you start moving the picks, whatever the case may be. But like this almost feels like it makes the, like I said, this makes it feel like the Simmons trade is way too complicated to ever happen. If anything, this confirms that the Celtics and the Sixers will not come to a deal. And I'm sure you know, the first thing that happened as soon as this leaked was Brad Stevens calling Jalen Brown and telling yeah, him, right. nope, nope. Yep. <laughs> like, Don't need that right end. now. Do Swear not need God. that. <laughs> and you check yeah. around a league, like people, like that's the message I've been hearing all year. It's like that Tatum and Brown, like they're locked in there, which makes sense, which makes complete yep. sense for, especially where they are in the season right now. Like you're 10 games in, you're, you're starting to turn a corner a little bit, I think in this last road trip. And yeah, like if, if things are, if they're 500 in January and there's chemistry issues or whatnot there, then things get more interesting. But for now, and particularly where both sides are at, like you said, like even if that happens in January, I still think the odds are incredibly long then that like anything comes together that makes sense from both sides perspective, unless things get really complicated with multiple teams and, you know, different pieces going all over the place. I, I said before, I think, I think Simmons is like an interesting fit along with, with Tatum and Jalen. And I, I, you know, I, I do think so, but I don't, it's not like a guaranteed fit. Like that's no like Simmons is Simmons is not an easy guy to play with. And defense is incredible. Like he's an awesome defender. Honestly, the Celtics would be picking up one of the best Tatum defenders in the league and just kind of putting him on the team with Tatum. But there is no guarantee that, especially on a Celtics team that already kind of lacks for some shooting. <laughs> it's a, it's an intriguing uh, possibility, but it's not like a home run possibility by any means. Just pop in the game tape from the playoffs the last two seasons for yeah. anyone who like for any team who wants to make a trade. Like you guys really want to like, you know, spend $32 million on this guy for the next four years and that's give up thing. and give yeah. up stuff on top of it. And so again, that's why I get the market is, has been so slow so far since it's not just beginning of the season. I think it's just where Simmons's trade value is right now. And the dynamic interest, interesting from the an age standpoint with those guys, like you said, and you know, defensively they could be a real monster. Um, with if you know Simmons being engaged, but like I said, it's not that doesn't take away all Simmons's flaws. And there's like I said, there's plenty of non-shooters on this team already. So what would this necessarily solve? It's it's worth it's worth checking in on. Yeah, of it's, course. Yeah, of course. like why why not? Makes and the calls. Sounds, yeah. The Celtics like to go after disgruntled stars on rivals. We know this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no question. Well, and, and two, like, you know, you, you, like you read the, the language of the report and it's like, I mean, you roll your eyes a little bit, right? Like the Celtics and Sixers engaged. Like, what does that mean? Like, obviously that's, you know, it's like it's conversations. There was a conversation. Like I'm sure the Celtics called and said, Hey, like, you know, we, we like Simmons and the Sixers. Yeah. Like we said, the Sixers made their demand and, you have to assume that that was probably where the conversation ended. Uh, the engagement was broken off immediately. I mean, I would have loved to see the Celtics just offer the the former Philly package to them. Just like, all right, you guys, we'll give you Al back. We'll give you Josh <laughs> Richardson back. And we'll find another former player and send it back to you. And that, that's you guys, were, you guys were just one piece away from contending that year. And that piece was the removal of Ben Simmons. So <laughs> right, exactly. let us facilitate that for you. B-Rob, how was... Uh, the great city of Dallas, Texas. I have to say, 
the 35 degree nights was not a fan, not a fan of that in Dallas, but it did get up to 70. So I can't complain. Um, at least Saturday daytime leading into a, a pretty fantastic game on Saturday night that uh, for a hot crowd too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it sounded like a fun game and we're going to get into, I think some of the uh, more controversial stuff from that game in a little bit here, uh, but we haven't podcasted in a little bit. I think basically since Marcus Smart decided that it was time to call out the two best players on the team. A lot has happened since then. Celtics won two out of three, um, including, you know, almost, I would say almost certainly their best win of the season, a, a fun, uh, a fun little stretch of Celtics basketball because they're like no shortage of storylines. And I think the biggest one for both the Celtics, like going forward and on, uh, on Saturday night when they played the Mavericks was Jason Tatum just kind of reemerging and looking like himself again in a lot of ways, you know, not just he was making shots, but also just, you know, kind of looking like the best version of himself that we saw last year at times. B-Rob, what, uh, what stood out to you about Tatum's performance and, and how, I mean, I know you said before, like you just kind of weren't that worried. I think that's probably the right tack to take with Tatum, but just uh, what stood out to you about his performance on Saturday? I thought that this was, it was just vintage Tatum. Um, and honestly, it was, it was defensively just as much too, which mm. I think has kind of been an underlying, like, you know, worry. I'd say if you're, from watching Tatum if you're a Celtics fan for the last few weeks. Um, but he was sharp on that end. But, I mean, 32 points on 19 field goal attempts says it all. And the Mavs really made a quick decision to be like, hey, we need to start doubling him immediately because it seemed like that. Like, we knew. Like, he's getting into his bag right now, and he's just going to feast on Porzingis or whoever gets switched on to him if we don't take the ball out of his hands. And so Tatum – kept making the right plays. He would move it out of those doubles quick. But the fact that he, I think, didn't force his game, like he had it going, but he really didn't like, and honestly, that might've been almost to the C's detriment late. We'll get to that later. But but from a, from a big picture standpoint, I think it was easily um, his most complete game of the year. And you have to think that, um, you know, him talking about it after the game, I think he, he feels he certainly needed it uh, based on the, the rough patch he had hit. It was, I mean, you were there. It was fascinating, uh, even just like remotely to hear him talk so much. Like I've never heard Jason Tatum post game say that much stuff and not just, and it wasn't just like the, the, you know, the volume of words. It was just, he was very, it felt like he was very open. He was like, I guess if you guys aren't talking about me, that's a, that's a huge problem. But like just talking about how, you know, there's, there's been a lot of noise around him. And I mean, I'm sure that's been stressful for him. You know, he's not, he never like looks like he's a stressed out guy. He always looks like he's pretty chill, but that had to be kind of tough as, you know, as he was struggling through those first eight games or whatever, just all the expectations that have been on him. I thought it was an interesting point you made about his defense. I don't, have you seen that, uh, that graphic that's, that's oh, yeah. on Twitter with the yeah. like post COVID, how his, how his defensive, uh, Stuff I, I actually don't really know how Darko works, but it basically since he got COVID, he went from like a super plus defender to like a w- well below water defender. Would I guess by by those metrics? I don't know. Do you do you know anything about what those numbers mean? I just saw the same graph you did. It was like, well, that's not that that, that matches the eye test. Yeah, this season, exactly. At least. Like it wasn't as obvious like last year because the like the whole defense for the whole team was a mess a lot of the time. But yeah, I mean that there, there's no question that this year you're like, well, this is you know, this isn't great. Like he's, you know, n- not the, the reliable guy that the, that the team had counted on for much of the first three years of his career. So, right. Um, yeah, I think again, like between that stuff and to your point about just his comments after the game, it's like you, that had been building up for, you know, we hadn't heard from him for since, you know, a week. 
since Smart made those comments. And right, so you can tell smart. <laughs> he had a long time to think about what he wanted to say on that front. And um, and he didn't, and not just on the smart stuff, obviously, but like you said, just the his 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 own struggles over the last, you know, five, six games. And I do want to get into his stuff on smart because I thought it was interesting. You mentioned that one of the biggest things that happened, I thought, in that Mavericks game was the way they started doubling him and just how the Celtics offense looked with fully functional Jason Tatum. I mean, even without Jalen Brown, just Tatum at the, at the peak of his powers is so good. And, and so he warps defenses to such an extent that it, it kind of feels like he can, you know, it's not that he can be an offense unto himself kind of in the same way that, you know, like a LeBron could or something like that, but it is like he, he warps defenses in that superstar type way where if you're going to throw the double at him and then the rest of your defense is going to suffer, but you're almost better off just letting the rest of your defense suffer because right. like, you know, Tatum can hurt you so significantly. So I just thought from a Celtics perspective, from a Celtics team that so desperately needs any semblance of consistent offense, uh, I just thought that was a, a huge positive sign going forward. I mean, it was a it was a bad game by Dallas for up until the last two minutes of the game. Right. Because um, because Richardson got going, Schroeder got comfortable attacking, you know, Porzingis in one on one. And Marcus Smart was not flinging up bad shots. He was, you know, just facilitating and, you know, kind of playing his role to a T offensively in terms of what the Celtics need out of him. Um, and then, I mean, we will get to the the last two minutes of the game. But yeah, to your point, like it's that's that's the situation. If Tatum plays like that and then you you get the right supporting cast pieces around him, obviously, whether being brown back or just, you know, other upgrades for this roster as, as Brad Stevens moves along, then you're you're playing with, um you know, with the magic there because offensively that you you saw the upside there of like the, this teams are just not going to have an answer for him when he when he he morphs into this mode. And it really it also does kind of hammer home like, OK, yeah, Tatum's had a tough start to the year. But you out, you do kind of you do see the vision where it's like if they go get that one last guy, it's like yeah. I mean, that, that's that's a tough offensive team. Like if Jason Tatum is is himself, if he isn't, you know, the guy who's been, you know, who's got like a forty five percent true shooting percentage over the first eight games, like that's like you think about Jalen coming back, you think about adding, you know, another guy who could, uh, you know, take advantage of that. You can you can definitely start to see what the Celtics are hoping for. You mentioned uh, we've talked about Smart a couple times. Let's talk Marcus Smart. The last two minutes of the game. How did it take us so long to get us to Smart, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Celtics won two out of their last three games. Yeah, it was a good trip. Tatum looks great. So I felt like we should start on a positive, which is that Jason yeah. Tatum is awesome. However, yeah. Marcus Smart kind of ruined the last one, um, the last game. So last, uh, I mean, the last 35 seconds or so were just one of the – just a tough, tough look after the Celtics had, a, I think they were down by 19, I believe at one point or something like yep. that through the Mavericks worked and worked and worked to clawed their way back. You took the lead. They were, they had a chance to, to retake the lead tied one Oh four in the last 30 seconds. Smart tried to draw a foul failed. And then on the other end, he, he took a take foul. Everybody kind of knows what happened there. Yeah. Um, Smart has had, I think a tough start to the season and that did not help matters, especially given his comments and everything. What were your initial takeaways from it? What was kind of the mood around the team afterward? What, what, what did you think? I mean, well, let's, let's go play by play here for the two sequences. Cause it's, I do think the, I mean, the, the obvious huge gaffe is the, the fouling, you know, giving the foul on Luca. Yep. And um, but I want to start with the play before that with when he tried to draw the foul on Porzingis. And so here's, here's my thing of that play is yes, it was a foul. The NBA made it was a foul on Porzingis, but this is where smart, I think has probably driven Celtics fans and honestly, he's probably some of his teammates crazy him throwing up the shot in that instance 
in such a critical span of the game, like trying to draw the foul, like trying to at least milk the foul was just, that can't happen there because a, you're already in the penalty. So like, if you get any kind of foul, you'll go to the line. So it's not like you're getting anything bonus and B there was 10 seconds left on the shot clock. It's like, okay, try to draw the foul. If you don't get it, give it to anyone else in your team who's hot right now, which is almost everyone. So it's like the, the trying to do too much in that instance as a, a facility, you know, as a player, which is, has been, I think, obviously to the detriment in the last couple of years, given how I mean, we've talked about his shooting numbers in the fourth quarter, just, it's like, it's not good. Um, despite Brad Stevens's claim about him making all the big ones. Um, and so that to me, I test Brad, we all call it. T- right. Right. <laughs> so that that's, I mean, what did you think of that? Like, is that, is that a fair critique or is that like, I mean, what did you think about that play? I mean, like I kind of got lost in the shovel given the next play, but I feel like that's almost just as like alarming given the, the, the game situation. When you pair it with kind of not knowing the, the, like the decision or the instinct or whatever it was to foul Luca, when you pair those two things together, it really felt like just kind of not being aware of situation, right? Which, which is tough down the stretch, because like you said, he didn't need to throw the shot up. You can't have that at that. It's stage. a bad gamble. You can't gamble like that at that point. Of the and, game. And, and, and like the gamble is like, it's, it's so multi-layered because the other thing too, is like, if you're trying to draw a foul, it was already hard to draw a foul late in the game, especially right. if you're not a superstar player this year, they're not calling a lot of stuff. Like I, I would imagine that in the last, I mean, I would imagine in the last 30 seconds of an NBA game, like a close NBA game right now is like a perfect time to pick up some bruises because like, the officials just are calling less contact. So if, you know, Smart was gambling on getting a call at a time when calls aren't usually given out, like during a season where the officials are making a point of not trying to make calls. So no, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. Like that was, I mean, it's tough too, because like the, the, the NBA coming out and being like, yeah, this was a foul. It, it does kind of lend some legitimacy to Smart's decision. But I think in the moment you can just kind of look at it and be like, that was a gamble he shouldn't have taken. He like, that was something. Yeah. If I'm one of his teammates, I'm just kind of side-eyeing him. Like, come on, man. Like you just were telling everybody else to pass, you know, what, what, what are we doing right. here? So yeah. With, with the backdrop of that comment, it's, it is, it's like glaring. And then on top of that, I mean, the last, the, the foul on Luca is just like a, a brain fart. I don't think there's, I mean, like there's nothing else to it in that situation. Again, the email, I mean, they just came out of a timeout too, to make it even worse. And so yep. it's kind of like, holy cow, like, what, what are we doing here, guys? And again, Ime, after the game, was asked, like, what was the strategy there? I'd be fascinated to know what Brad Stevens would have said. Ime is, like, very willing to just kind of give it to you straight. Like, I didn't think he was, like, trying to throw a smart under the bus or anything. He was just like, yeah, there was no strategy. That was not what he was supposed to be doing. And it was like, um, I wonder if Brad would have been the same level of open or if Brad would have kind of tried to blame himself. And, like, because Ime did eventually be like, you know, uh, I, I should have communicated better, which was kind of him to say. But um, no, like smart needed to not commit that foul. So I guess I was curious, um, you know, just like you being there, like Tatum wasn't really asked about the play after the game. Like Yudoka was the only one who really addressed it. I, I thought that was kind of strange, that situation where there's been so much smart drama already. It's like you ask Tatum about the comments and it's like, well, let's also talk about smart screw up. Like that is kind of a right. tough spell, I guess. Yeah, there is. I mean, I think that, that was a thing. And that was um there was so much going on like we hadn't talked to him for a week and these are pretty finite windows for these press conferences so if the line of questioning goes one way then it's tough to to get it back and then yeah smart was requested after the game was not made available only there were only two players made available after a loss which is standard but you'd think you know 
again, this might be something would have been better for Smart just to address right away, to just, you know, come out there and, and face yep. the music. But now, you know, it has to take it for a few days, which we'll see how he responds to. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't, again, given how TM talked about it, I didn't expect Smart, him to, he wasn't, I mean, he's just not the type of guy to throw any teammate, even, you know, under the bus in a situation like that. And, and Ime, again, tried to take the heat for it as much as he could while also being candidly honest, being like, yep, that was, um, that's his bad. And, um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll pretend to take the heat for him. So I think that's a situation where, you know, I would have loved, I'm, I'm with you. It would have been interesting to see what the Tatum response was, but I have a, you know, a decent guess on what, what he would have gone with. I think everything else he said in that press conference kind of spoke for itself in terms of how he thought, what did you, how did you take his comments just about the smart comments? I mean, he's the second guy now who I'm not trying to make something out of nothing, but he's like both him and Jalen, neither of them said like smarts our guy. Like, you know, we appreciate him calling us out. It was like pretty like, yeah, he shouldn't have said that. That was not we didn't appreciate that. And it was like that, that felt noteworthy to me. Like it felt like, you know, if you got like Jalen being like, you know, like heat of the battle, like we understand, like, you know, like, you know, smarts our guy. Like, you know, we've, we've been through a lot together. I just I didn't get that vibe from either of their comments. Like it, it really did not feel healthy to me. No, as professionally as I could, while also sending that direct signal being like that, that was BS. Like, and it was to, to be out from a, from a candid, from a outside perspective of the dynamics of the team and what happened that night of the collapse, which I think was very much Tatum and Brown's passing, not being a cause for that collapse, which again, so like, it's one thing where you can address the timing of those comments and maybe honestly, like after the double overtime game against the Wizards, just like that, a comments like that might have flowed differently because Tatum was terrible in that game and Tatum took some bad shots in that game and probably wasn't looking to move the ball much when they scored three points in like overtime. But for him to time it like that with, you know, just, just with that. And then on top of that, knowing that Marcus, you are a 29% shooter this season. Like you are calling out your all-star teammates after a bad team loss and saying you need the ball in your hands more like that was just, I mean, on, on a variety of levels there, that was like, wow. It was weird. Yeah. I, I think that we, you know, we, I think we, we tried to touch on it. I, I felt like the media reaction, a lot of it was like, well, smart's not wrong. I don't know. On our yeah, he, there were defenders like, up there. Eh. <laughs> he's not a, like if, whether or not he's right about, cause I, I did, I did think there was some validity to saying that like, Tatum should try to move the ball more in crunch time. Like I thought Tatum's like ISOs were really bad. Like that would be fair to say, but at the same time, it's like, well, smart probably isn't the messenger for this. No. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it seems pretty clear how they felt about that one. And I, I wonder, you know, we've, we've talked a couple of times. It feels like there's something going on with smart this year. He seems not particularly happy with something. Um, you know, it's hard to say exactly what, but I, I, I do, I, you know, I, I'm think, it's starting to feel like it might be kind of like a dynamic that needs to be addressed within the team somehow uh, at this stage. 100%. And Brad, Steven, I mean, this is, this is going to be talking about first tough questions as in president of basketball ops. Like, I mean, we'll see what things look like. There's the good thing I think is smart can't be moved to middle of January. So like this kind of gives time for all sides to, to not even bury the hatchet, but just, you know, just to heal any potential wounds there. But yeah. if 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 those are not closed by, you know, that time, then I think we know what direction he's going to have to go in, because if Brown and 
Tim kind of continue that mentality about this and, and feel like, listen, this is not like, you know, this is someone who's supposed to have our back and they're throwing us under the bus in front of the media for stuff that we think that, yeah, we can do better, but what, you know, so can a thousand things you can do better too, Marcus. And we don't do the same thing to you. So from that, from that standpoint, I'll be very curious to see how Stevens handled that, you know, balance and whether they go through this year and just let it play itself out or have to be, you know, proactive about it. Definitely. And I do want to say, it's like Brad has made it pretty clear that he's not going to do anything kind of rash about like trading smart. I mean, you know, I, I know a lot of Celtics fans just like to yell about like, trade him, trade him, trade him. And it's like, well, it is worth noting that this is a guy who's been with the team for a long time. He's been with these guys for a long time. Whether or not they want him out of there, it is like, it would be a huge change. Like it would, it would be a, a real shift in team dynamic if he left just because, you know, he's been around for so long. He's, he's been kind of baked into the DNA of this team for a long time. So I don't think Brad's going to do anything rash. He can't, like you said, he can't do anything rash until January anyway but not great early returns for uh, Smart's potential future here, I would say. So, uh, let's do a quick grab bag because I know you've got some, some Z-Rob uh, issues to attend to there. But let's, he wants to make uh, his podcast. He wants to make his Geo Time debut, but we're going to hold off for a little bit. <laughs> let's, let's get him on whenever we get <laughs> um, So I, I did want to touch on Aaron Neesmith. I, I, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm just yelling into the wind about how interesting his whole situation is sometimes, but he's it's fascinating, man. Like he's like, he should be the perfect... Um, role player on this team, like the floor spacing, the, the hustle, the defense. And, you know, he got a bunch of DNP CDs that I didn't understand. He came back, he had a nice game. And I was like beating my chest on boston.com takeaways. Like, ah, I told you guys he should have been playing. And then he comes out and goes over, over whatever against the Mavericks. I mean, what, what's your read on Neesmith at this point? I think he's played well enough where you have to at least throw him out there now. And you're going to get the chance with Jalen Brown looking like he's going to be out for yeah. at least, you know, a week. It seems like with this hamstring injury, but yeah, he missed shots against Dallas, but from an energy standpoint, defensively, he's, you know, giving you effort, which was an issue for this team for much of the first eight or nine games. So if you have that in play now, I think I'm with you. Like, even this, you can't let one bad night here, keep him, you know, bury him behind even Langford and Pritchard right now, given, you know, especially how the way Pritchard's playing, which is, I think, is like, I've been, you know, a, a minus so far. Yeah, Absolutely. What's uh what's on your grab bag list? What's something that uh, that really jumped out to you from the last three games? Yeah, the other big takeaway from this trip, the the point guard dynamic, and we're seeing I think Schroeder get a little bit comfortable right now, and he's had you know his his shooting is what it is, but in terms of running the offense, attacking the paint, I thought he had a lot of good moments in that Dallas game before the last two minutes where he had those the turnover, and I mean we didn't even bring up the the Tim dribbling off of Tatum's foot. Yeah, and that tie game of like two and a half. Yeah. I mean, that, that was no one's fault, but that that was a, a really tough luck play that kind of set the stage for that ending because that they, they had a, a break potentially right there. Oh, and, and one of those plays where you can literally see people's shoulders slump like that was right. you know, it, it's always funny when that's a visible thing and not just kind of a metaphorical thing. It was like, no, everybody was literally like their their shoulders were down after that play. No, they it's like they knew it's like, oh, we we like they wouldn't no one was mad at each other. It's just like, crap, that yeah. that that hurts. And it did. Yep. Um, but, you know, if Smart, you know, we're seeing how this dynamic is continuing. I don't think, you know, Smart's not going anywhere in the starting five anytime soon. Yep. But if his shooting does not come around and, and Schroeder just keeps looking good, you know, off the bench and with the starters, then I do wonder how much would a question that becomes and how soon that becomes a question for, for Ime Odoka because, you know, particularly knowing like this team needs wins and this team needs offense right now. And that's starting five. And 
And Dennis Schroeder is probably the guy that's going to give it to you more right now than smart. Yeah. It's been really interesting to watch, you know, like you hear the, the Rondo comparisons with Schroeder and, you know, I mean, I've watched him a little bit. Obviously you watch him in spurts here and there and you, you can see little bits of it. Then you watch him up close and you're like, yeah, I mean, there's like some real Rondo to his off to his scoring, especially, you know, like not the passing obviously, but you know, just the, like those like quick, like, you know, explosive first steps and then get to the rim and just kind of stretch out around guys and using angles, using the rim, all that stuff. Like it's very, there is some Rondo esque stuff to it. And it's, it's entertaining to watch that with Jalen and and Tatum. I agree with you completely. I mean, I think Schroeder has looked really quite good. I mean, he's not like the most efficient player in the world all the time, but like, that's not that it, like that's not even that important. I feel like in this scenario, it's just like he just gives the Celtics a boost. He breaks down the defense. He collapses the defense. He, um, you know, just kind of makes things a little bit easier. And I think just the pace that he plays with is so much more like comfortable and productive. I think to like an NBA game. Smart is just an A double plus defender. You know, he, a veteran. He's been he's been with this team for a long time. But I mean, like Schroeder looks really good, and that I don't think that. I don't think Ime is going to be able to ignore that. I don't think Brad's going to be able to ignore that going forward. It's going to be a fascinating dynamic given everything that's happened last week, just how that is handled. Whether that gets addressed or not, we'll see in the coming days, but it's something to thoroughly to watch in the next you know month or so here. All right, guys. Well, I think we can leave it there. Big thank you to Brian Robb of MassLive.com. You can find all his stuff over at MassLive.com Celtics. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you know where to find us, and we will talk to you all again later this week.